chapter 2. On uh, Sunday nights, my plan is to be in the book of Titus. Sunday mornings, I plan to be preaching about Jesus Christ. And boy, I had a great time today preaching about the spotless Savior. And, um, and right now, my heart's very full. Great service, song service, and then to see all that we've had enjoyed here just the last few moments. And it's been a blessing. But Titus chapter 2, and, and we have already looked at two groups of people and we've said, just a reminder, and I, I, I don't really want to go back and rehash a lot of things, but in chapter 1, you had godliness in the church. In chapter 2, godliness in the home. Chapter 3 is godliness in the world. And in chapter 2, we looked at the aged men and talked about what God instructed them to be, and then the aged women and what they were instructed to be. Well, tonight, verse number four and five, this is about what God is instructing young women, godly young women. Now, I'm going to let you put yourself in that category wherever you think your age might fall. I've heard people say different ages for a young woman, but I'm just going to let you decide where that is. But I want you to understand why it's so important that we take and look at this passage about young women. If you go back and look at chapter 1, particularly in verse number 11, the Bible says that there are people, if you remember, there were deceivers, vain talkers, unruly men whose mouths must be stopped, verse 11, <coughs> who subvert whole houses. In other words, they go in and they destroy that home, that house to subvert means to overthrow from the foundation, to ruin something. Just take and turn it completely upside down. <coughs> to totally corrupt it, to pervert it. And I would say the country in which we live, the home has definitely been subverted. And the reason I say that many, today, today not only is fornication accepted, it's celebrated. It's as if you are showing who you are by living that kind of lifestyle. Marriage has decreased in the United States steadily. <coughs> fewer and fewer people are marrying. And in fact, what they do is they just live with one another. 40% of people that have been married lived with somebody before they actually got married. And it's any wonder then that divorce is also skyrocketed. 50% of the people in this country that get married, half of them are going to end up in divorce. And what I'm saying is the home, there's no doubt in my mind, the home is being flipped on its head. In fact, we're redefining what a family is. We're redefining a family to where two men can take and they can constitute a home. Two women can be joined in marriage and constitute a home. And all I'm saying is that the world has taken and they've flipped it upside down. And, and the world's definition of family and home is not surprisingly far from what God's definition is. And so tonight, the godly young women that are described here. This is God's view of a young woman. Now, if you look, um, the Bible says there in verse 3, the aged woman likewise, they be in behaviors becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husband, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the Bible. 
We thank you for the instructions found here. Lord, I pray you would help your word tonight to go forth clearly and plainly. I pray, Lord, that it would find good ground. Lord, I pray you would help us to see what's in the Bible and want it more than what we see that's in the world. And I pray you'd help the ladies of this church, particularly tonight, the young ladies, help them to see what you want them to be, regardless of what the world would have them to be. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, that phrase there in verse 4, that they may teach the younger women, um, a lot of times you'll hear people really just say, well, we just don't have any, anything that have, has the older women teaching the younger women. We failed in that regard. And all I would say is this, you know, we, we've had ladies' classes, we've had ladies' meetings. Um, in Alabama, we would have workshops. We would have workshops where we would have uh, people come in and teach people how to cut hair. And, you know, if you go get a haircut today and it's $20 and you get it cut every couple of weeks, you know, you can save a whole lot of money if somebody knows how to cut your hair. And different things like that. We did workshops. You have a mothers and grandmothers that can teach their daughters privately. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 5, it talks about that very thing, how that Timothy learned much from his mother and his grandmother. But when you think about this, when it says that the aged women, that they may teach the young women, I think that's instruction. That's what I'm going to try to do tonight. But what I do tonight by way of word is not nearly, I think, sometimes as important by what you do by example. How many of you think you can teach a whole lot more by example sometimes than you can teach by your words? In other words, your example, that the aged women, that by their example of how they live, about the attitude that they have, the actions that they produce, that there is something that is taught to the young women, I told Miss, Miss Mildred Merritt today uh, in that bed, I said, Miss Merritt, thank you so much for being a great godly example to my wife and to my girls, and I appreciate what you've done in showing them what a godly woman should look like. Now, there's a lot of people, they, they don't care anything about what the, what the Lord thinks about someone. They would rather be looked at highly in the world's eyes. And uh, I'm going to tell you tonight, listen, you young ladies here tonight, if you're more worried about how the world views you than how God views you, you're going to end up like much of the world ends up. You're going to follow that same path. And if you'll care more about how God views you than you do how the world views you, you might lose some friends and you might lose some popularity, but you're going to come out in the right place. And I think that's why the instruction is given. So let's look at it. Number one, the first thing that they're to teach the young women to be is to be sober. Now that's omitted in the newer versions, but the word sober there, first of all, it, plainly, I'd say that young women, you don't need to be drinking alcohol. That means little fruity drinks with an umbrella in it or wine coolers or something that's not on the end of hard alcohol. Well, I don't, I don't drink anything hard. If you're a young lady, you don't need to drink anything at all. Stay sober. Stay sober. Don't, don't put that in your mouth. Sober is mentioned not only there, but it's mentioned in verse number two of the aged men. It's mentioned in verse number eight of chapter one of the, of the bishop, the preacher. I don't think the preacher ought to drink a little bit, do you? Come on now, if I drink a little bit, wouldn't some of y'all get upset? Every now and then I have somebody say something to me about drinking Michael because it's got alcohol in it. You see what I just did then? Everybody just doesn't know what, which way to go right there. <laughs> I bought it at a pharmacy. I didn't buy it in a liquor store. I didn't have to show my ID when I bought it. It's medicine. All right, but here's what I'm telling you. I, you don't want a preacher that drinks a little bit, and you certainly don't want a bunch of older men around here drinking a little bit. And, and listen, if, it, if it's good for them and if it's good for that pastor, then it's good for a young woman. And I don't care how many people popularize it, 
on television and in the media, you need to stay sober. Stay sober. Now, sober also can mean more than just not drunken. It can mean somebody that's got a level head, that you're in control of your emotions and your passions. And I think that's probably a little bit more closer to what's being stated here. As a young woman, to be in control of your passions, your passions. I think it's natural for a young woman to want to be married to a young man. But I think if you're not careful, that will push you sometimes in a direction that will cause you maybe to change what you wear, to change the way you present yourself. It might change who you're around. And, and you've got to be able to control that passion to want to be finally wed and to be married. And somebody says, you know, you're going to be an old maid. You know, you, you mean you're not married yet. It would be better to remain unmarried than to be in a bad marriage. So controlling the passion, understanding how to stay level-headed. And here's what I would tell you about that. The first five things listed here all deal with her heart. So in other words, there is much being spoken to her about her heart. So first of all, stay sober. Number two, number two, the second thing says is this. It says that they're to be sober to love their husbands. To love their husbands. I remember one time I heard a man say, the Bible says that the husband's supposed to love the wives and it never says that the wife's supposed to love her husband. Well, that's just not true, is it? The Bible says that, that the younger women are supposed to be taught how to love their husbands. Now, you would think that would not be a very difficult thing, right? I mean, before you get married and the honeymoon and the anniversary and been married one year and all of those things, man, it's easy. Why, how in the world could I not love him? Well, because things change. You know, men change the older they get. Men get forgetful. Sometimes they forget important things. Sometimes they forget other things. I, I, you know, I don't know. I've probably been to the store supposed to pick up certain things. And if I go hungry, I'll come back with a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't on the list. Forget about the stuff I was supposed to get. You know, sometimes men... Men get to the place where their, their bodies change and they don't look like they used to. And, and you, wearing, you wearing athletic clothing will never make you athletic. <laughs> won't work. They fail. You know, the longer you're married to somebody, the more opportunity you're going to have for them to fail, to make a bad decision, to make a bad choice, to not be where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be. And so what the Bible says is that somebody needs to sit down with this young woman, this young mother, this young new bride, with, and teach her how to love her husband. That love is a choice. Love is a commitment. Love is an expression between two people that I value you more than the world values you. Listen, listen to me, listen. If you don't love your husband and you don't express that, Somebody in that world will express that. And the reason people end up in immorality and they end up in a broken marriage sometimes is because that love got broken down. And the Bible says, all right, you've got to teach them to love their husbands. So when they get old and they forget, when they fail and you've got a hundred reasons not to love them, the Bible says you need to love them anyway. Come on now. 
need to love them anyway instead of going find somebody else who's got a little more money, looks a little bit younger. Right. That's her heart. Look at the second thing and the third thing in the verse, that they might teach them to love their husbands and then to love their children. Now, that is really strange. You know, I, I grew up with a brother, so there were no dolls in our house. How many of you grew up in a home where there were absolutely no dolls in your house? Anybody? Okay, a lot. You, then you understand. There's no dolls in our house. There were guns in our house, toy guns. You know, we had miniature soldiers that we had war with. We had all kind of balls, baseballs, Nerf balls, footballs. I mean, we had all kind of things that we would play with and things that we would play, but we never had any dolls. Well, you know, when I got, when I got married and Daniel came along and we were grateful and then God gave me Hannah and then he gave us Carolyn and he gave us Megan. And, you know, we went from having a house where there might be some balls and guns that there were dolls in every corner of the place. And honestly, I, I would watch, my daughters would, they would fight sometimes. And I would get so upset. They, they, would, they would be fighting over the number of dolls they had. And I, if they heard it once, I know they've all heard it. They all got their head ducked right now. But here's that, they exactly what I'd say. I'd say, look, you only have two hands. So you only get two dolls. Yeah, but that one's mine. No, it doesn't matter. Two hands, two dolls. And they would carry them around. When Carolyn was born, Hannah got, a, Hannah got a living baby. And they enjoyed that. But I never, in all my days, I never caught Daniel with a doll. I never did. If I had a... His mom and I would have had a long talk. <laughs> I didn't catch him with a doll. It's natural, it's natural for a young lady to have an affection toward that child, just like a mother that carries that child in her womb for nine months. There is something different and unique about that relationship. But the world we live in, are you listening to me? The world we live in is a place where there is unnatural affection. In other words, what I'm saying is that the world, the world has the idea that it is something strange for a woman to really want children and to love those children more than she would love her career. In other words, you should take and put your career above your children. Listen, don't have any children until you're at the end of your days and you've finished your career. I disagree with that. I don't think that's right. I, you ought to put, or, or, the, or the world will say this, put your children above yourself. That's why we have a pro-choice movement. Do you understand the reason we have a pro-choice movement is because those people say it's my body. Yeah, well, you have a body, but that little child inside your womb also has a body. So we say pro-life, but they say pro-choice. It's my body, so I ought to get to do what I want to do. I'm not ready for children. I don't want any children. Well, if you're not ready for children don't want any children, then don't put yourself in a position to create children. Amen? Doesn't matter how old you are. So don't, don't take and put yourself above those children. And listen, and then don't, don't get upset. Oh, my goodness. You know, really, I, I complain a little bit too much about these dogs that we have and... and uh, I, I probably, the Bible says do all things without murmuring and disputing. I'm, I probably sit in there. But um, you know really the problem with those dogs we have, you know, especially that one, is just a lack of training. That dog never got trained. You know why some people, <laughs> you know why some people don't love their children? Because they never got trained. 
I believe there are some people that love. How many of y'all love puppies? How many love puppies? You love puppies? I love puppies. Don't you love puppies? I, puppies are so fun. Their breath smells good. They play. They run around. They're so happy. But they never stay puppies. They grow up. And if you don't train that puppy, if you don't train that little child, then when it grows up, that's why on aisle six, all the stuff is out on the floor. They're laid out, I mean, screaming to the top of their lungs, I want it, I want it, I want it. Mama's saying, I don't don't ever want to have another child as long as I live. (laughs) You know, if if you're going to love your children, you know what you better do? You better train your children. That's, That's your responsibility. So when they're taught to love their children, again, that's the heart. I thought it's so unusual. You know the first three times in the Bible that it talks about loving your children, though it talks about a man, a servant loving his children. It talks about Jacob loving Joseph and then Jacob loving Benjamin. I I think men ought to love their children too, amen? But the point is is that it's, it's an unnaturally affectioned world that says, hey, if you're frustrated with them, just send them to somebody else. Put, put yourself and always put yourself number one. So to love their husbands, to love their children. How many we do? Everybody understand what we've said so far? We're doing okay? This is what God's view is that an w- older woman, an aged woman, should teach a younger woman to be. This is God's view of a godly young woman. A young woman that's sober, a young woman that knows how to love her husband and knows how to love her children. Look at the next word, verse number four. To love their husbands, to love their children. Verse number five, to be discreet. Again, that's the heart. Being discreet, discretion if you would. Discreet means to be reserved, discerning, prudent. In other words, you take and and you don't reveal everything. Everything is not open. You know, there, there are ways to teach younger women to be discreet in the way they conduct themselves the way that they have to deal with certain issues in life that they face and certain things that they face. Today, today we, we, have, we have such an open society. Um, we, we have a society that believes in exposure and taking a picture everywhere. I, I'm just going to tell you, this is my opinion now. It, it, if you did differently, that's all right. My opinion is when it comes time to have a child, my wife and I were the only two that were going to be in that room. That was it. I probably wouldn't have gone in if I, no, if I could have got out. It's because, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. But today, people bring video cameras in there. Take pictures. Bring the whole family. Talk about all kinds of things that they have no business talking about. I'm blushing right now, and I hadn't said a thing. That's indiscreet. That's not being discreet. That's just being so open. And we do that because the society we live in. We have people today that take pictures that they're on aisle four at Publix buying groceries. How many of you do not care if your friends are on aisle four buying groceries? I don't care. Let me show you the picture. Everything's open. It's just open. And because of that, what we've done is we've taught our young women that that's the way you should really just be open. Just, Just let it all out there. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says be discreet. Let me show you a little bit closer. This will get a little scary for us. Go, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 7 and Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 7, Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11 uses the word discretion. 
And I'm, I'm going to go a little bit farther than just the conversation that we have, learning how to have conversation that is reserved, discerning, prudent, not just putting everything out there in the open. But look what the Bible says in Proverbs 11 in verse number uh, 22. As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman which is without discretion. You see what the Bible just said? A fair woman that, that has no discretion, that is not discreet with the way that God made her and the beauty that he gave her. God said that's like taking a gold jewel, sticking it in a hog's nose, and let it go out there and just rub in all that mess. How many of you have ever been in a hog trough? Wow. How many of you have never seen what hogs eat? I'm curious. How many of you have never seen what hogs eat? If you saw what hogs eat, it'd almost make you want to stop eating bacon. I said almost. You smell bacon cooking, it's time to eat it anyway. Amen. But almost. I mean, they eat the nastiest, filthiest stuff. I'm talking about their own excrement mixed in with rotten food and, and dirt and muck. And they just, they, and they've got this. He's saying a fair woman is like a hog that's had that gold jewel put there, just rubbing it in there. If God made you beautiful, that wasn't so the world could be able to see everything about you. But that's not what the world believes. The world says you need to make yourself beautiful, pay for it if you have to, do whatever you need to do to look like folks do on Instagram and on all these other websites. Make sure you look like that and then put it out there for everybody else to see. That, that is not being discreet. Now, look at it again, Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. The Bible speaks about a strange woman. We don't want to raise those kind of women. We don't, want to, we don't want those kind of young mothers. In Proverbs 7, speaking about that very thing, this strange woman, look what the Bible says in verse number 10. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot. In other words, she was wearing clothes that identified her as a harlot, as a very immoral woman. And she's subtle of heart. Verse 11, she is loud and stubborn. Her, her feet abide not in her house. That's what the Bible's describing her as. She, she has an attire that she wears that really what it does, it takes and it draws attention to her. She wears something very sensual, something very exposing about the way God made her. That's what the Bible says, the attire of a harlot. How many of you think you know what a harlot is? Y'all not raising your hand. You know, a harlot is a woman that would take and allow herself to be put out there and, and profit from something that has no business being profited from that was meant for a man and woman to be married and stay that way the rest of their days. Right, and the Bible says that she has the attire of a harlot. So you young ladies, don't, don't, look at Hollywood, ugh, don't look at Hollywood to get your fashion. Don't look at people that are on, you know, whatever today, Apple Music and, and all these other places where the videos are. There is such filth out there. It is promoted. Be as, be as promiscuous and as sensual as you can. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's not discreet. Neither is it of being subtle of heart. You know what that is? Learn how to manipulate to get what you want. A woman can do that. To be able to manipulate, and you know that's true. Y'all looking at me like, I don't believe that. How many of you men have been pulled over by a policeman, cried when he, when he started talking to you about a ticket and he didn't write you a ticket? How many men been that way? Let me see. All right, all right. 
How many of you ladies have ever cried or shed a tear when you've been pulled over by a policeman and then ended up not getting written up? Can I see your hand? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You know, if, if I believe if, a, if I was a policeman and I walked up and a man went, <laughs> my wife is going to kill me. I'd say, buddy, you got more problems than a wife that's going to kill you. <laughs> what is wrong with you? But I've got three girls. And I try not to be easy, but, you know, they get, it's easier for them to pull on my heart springs than it is that, that red-headed boy back there. Don't, don't be somebody that manipulates. And then he goes on to say, look at it, she's loud. Do we need to define that? And stubborn. She's independent. You're not going to tell me what to do, when to do it, and where to do it. That is what the world promotes. You be loud, bold, independent. You be sensual and you manipulate to get what you want. And the world promotes that as saying, this is what a young woman should be like. I disagree. I think God's got it right. You ought to be discreet. You ought to be discreet. I believe we have those kind of young ladies in our church. Got to get an amen there. All right, go back if you would Titus chapter 2. So not only sober, that's a matter of the heart. To love their husbands, love their children, that's a matter of the heart. To be discreet, that's a matter of the heart. Look at one more time. Dealing with the heart of this young woman. He says to be discreet, to be chaste. Chaste just means pure. First Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 speaks about the church being a chaste virgin. Someone that is pure. And 1 Timothy 5, 22 says, keep thyself pure. And I really believe that means that you ought to be pure in your language and you ought to be pure in your morals. Are, are you listening? The world celebrates a vile woman today. I know that because people like Beyonce and all of her ilk that are like her, they are promoted, they are idolized. Look, I don't know anything about the Kardashians and I don't care to know anything about the Kardashians. I think they're as fake as a $3 bill. I wouldn't want to be married to one of them. I wouldn't want one of them as a daughter. I wouldn't want their. I wouldn't want anything about them because I think they would be hard to live with. I think they're as fake as they come. But the world says, no, that's who you ought to be like. This is what you ought to be like. No, I'll tell you what you ought to be. You ought to be pure. Come on, you ought, you ought to keep yourself pure. As a young woman, keep yourself pure. And when somebody mocks that, you know what? Deep down in your heart, it would be better for you to have a relationship that lasts with your husband than to have had 10 relationships before you get to your husband. Be pure. Chaste. That's all the matter of the heart. So he starts off by saying, listen, Titus, you need to have some of these aged women to speak to these young women and to help them with their heart. And all the media and the world, everything that's out there says, look, you ought to take and turn your heart this direction. But God is saying, no, I want you to turn your heart this direction. Now, let's look at the next phrase. How many are still with me? You still with me? All right. Verse number five, to be discreet, chaste, and then keepers at home. And there's a whole lot of debate about, well, what does that mean? Well, to be a keeper or to keep means to retain in one's possession or to be able to preserve, to tend, to maintain, not to lose. 
So I gave you, if I gave you some money or if I gave you my keys and said, look, I want you to keep these. I want you to get them back to me. And that means you keep possession of them. You don't lose them. All right. Now, I know there's all kinds of ideas about, well, that means that a woman needs to stay at home. A lot of the new Bibles, what they do is they change that to, to work at home. In other words, to be chased or to be discreet, chased workers at home. Um, I think you could work at home and never be a keeper of your home. I think that would be very, very easy to do. But let me show you what I believe this means, and then we'll move on. And if you don't agree with it, that's all right. Take a look, if you would, at 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Keepers at home. Now, I'm going to say this while you're turning. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I, I think that it is in the best interest of your children when they are young, if you have not put yourself in some kind of financial arrears, it is best for you to be with your children. The reason I say this is because I don't think anybody can love a child like a mother can love a child. No, nobody will ever correct a child like a mother corrects a child. Nobody will care for that child like a mother will care for that child. That child, what he gets from its mother, what she gets from its mother... That child has a mother writing in their book. If you would think about children like a book, I heard this analogy years ago. That's, an, that's a blank, a book with blank pages. And page after page, somebody gets to take and write into that book. And mom will take that book and she'll be careful what gets in that book and what's written there. But if you give that book away to somebody else and they spend time writing things in there, then what happens to people at a very young age, then they get bent or they get twisted in the wrong direction. I, I, I know we may not agree with what I'm about to say. The reason I think we're in the mess we're in right now in our country is because what we've allowed the public schools and the universities of our country to teach to our children. Our children are moving a completely different direction than this country is. That's why we're doing so much of what we're doing. Somebody sat in a classroom and taught them what they should be like. All right, now, that being said, a, a, mother, a mother being at home, I think, is a valuable thing. But look what it says here in 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you look there in verse number 13, this talks about these young widows. And with all, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. Now, here's what he says. These young widows, what's going to happen is they're going to get idle. All right, they're not busy. They're going to wander from house to house. And what they're going to do is they're going to they're get into other people's business. Verse number 14, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children. And there's a phrase I want you to notice, to guide the house to guide the house. The word keeper, the Bible speaks about the keeper of a vineyard, the keeper of a field, the keeper of the prison. That doesn't mean that they have to be there all the time, but they're in control of what's going on. In other words, they're in possession of it and they're taking care of that. And here when it says that the, the, what these women are to guide the home, that's exactly what it means. <laughs> I think about this as a ship. I've, I've never sailed a ship, but I do know this. There is a captain on board that ship. That captain tells the navigator or whoever it is at that helm, this is the heading and this is where I want you to go. So whether they punch it in or whether they take the helm, they turn that ship according to where he tells them to go. So here's a man that is leading or he's the one that's determining the direction and then the other one is just guiding it. It reminded me of Chuck Cofty years ago. He said to me about his wife, Lenora. She, she told Brother Cofty, he was talking about the order of the home, and she just said, Chuck, you just remember this. You may be the quarterback, but I'm the ball. Without me, you can't play the game. 
And, and listen, I, I really believe that. I believe God intended a man to lead the home, but he said that woman can be the keeper, the guide of that home. And that takes time and that takes effort. And so what that does, that puts her in a position to care for things. You say, well, where can I find that practically? All right, write this out beside. Go back if you would to Titus 2 and write out beside that, write out Proverbs 31. If you want an example of a woman who is a keeper at home, Proverbs 31. She's also one that goes out and buys a field. She has merchandise that she sells. So she's just not in that house all day long. What she's doing is she is keeping the home. Her children don't have to worry about it being cold. They don't have to worry about eating. She's taking care of all of that. She is a keeper of that home. And so I would say that we ought to teach our young ladies the same thing. We ought to teach our young ladies the same thing. We ought to teach our young ladies what's in the Bible. Because this is God's view. This is not man's view. This is God's view. Discreet, chase, keepers at home. Titus chapter 2, look at another one here. Titus chapter 2, look what it says in verse number 5. Good. Good. You know, I, I think that can mean good works. Certainly, the widows in 1 Timothy 5, good works. Tabitha in Acts 9, good works. But good also means this, agreeable Honorable, virtuous, kind, benevolent, wholesome. You, you start looking at all the definitions for good, it's, it's so hard to put that in there. But, but it, it, is, it is without question, I have heard this phrase used a lot of times, that man right there is a good man. Or that woman right there, she's a good woman. You know what I think you ought to want to be called by other people? That woman right there is a good woman, not an evil woman. I, I could be wrong about this. I could be wrong about this. But part of me feels like that a woman has a greater depth of an ability to both love and to hate. You ever heard somebody say, hell hath no scorn like a, or, or hell hath no fury like a woman scorned? In other words, just viciously mean. Maybe I ought to say it this way. Don't be a mean woman. Don't be a mean woman. Be a loving woman. On the other end, don't be full of hate or evil. Be full of goodness. I think the propensity of that, that's why I'm saying, well, my mama was good to me, and I, I used to be so funny. So, so, so many years ago when they would pan to a, a football player on the sideline, just about every time, almost every time, you know what he'd say? Hey, mom. We got over that now. Now they make money. Now they're, you know, they're trying to get their time. But, but he, hey, mom. I used to think, well, how come nobody said, hey, dad? Hey, mom. Because there's a, there's a connect, the goodness of a mother. Then the last thing. The heart is dealt with in the first five. The home is dealt with in verse six, or rather in verse five, when it's keepers at home and then obedient to their own husbands. And that's the last one that I'm going to put out there. But this is what's in the Bible. Now, you know, I, <laughs> I thought maybe I need to preach a whole message on that. I heard a guy one time, he got up and he said, you might as well go ahead and rip all that stuff in there. It says about a woman being subjected to her husband out of the Bible because they don't believe it anyway, whether it's in there or not. I, you know what? Here's what I think. I, I think that it is biblical for the Bible when it says to be obedient to their own husbands. That's Bible. 
Now, you may not like that. And you may find a number of reasons to say that's not a good position. But that's a position that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. How many of you think that a man should only marry a woman and a woman should only marry a man? Would you say amen to that? You know where we get that from? Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. God designed it that way. And, and this is a design, if you'll take it, just put a mark there and go ahead and leave that. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. God says that's a biblical position, that the, that the wife is to be obedient to their own husband. It's part of the order of the home. Now, you can find that in 1 Peter chapter 3, a lost man. A woman that has a man that believeth not, but without the word can be one. She's told to be in subjection. Colossians 3 talks about a woman submitting herself to her own husband. Ephesians 5, and 24 says the same thing. And uh, boy, I know I'm treading on ice right now. I, you know what? I'm still preaching, but we, we stopped about five minutes ago, didn't we? All right, and here's why. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible's very clear about the order. Look, the Bible says this. Verse number three, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. So God lays it out for you. He says that the head of every man is Christ. So when we say that a woman should be in submission to her husband, come on, help me now. A man should be in submission to Christ. Is that right? A man should be in subjection or submission to Christ. In fact, I'm going to tell you, one of the best choices you'll ever make is just say, God, I want to follow you. I want to live for you. Like those three young men got singing the other minute ago, I want my life to count for Jesus. It doesn't matter what business you're in. It doesn't matter how old you are. The best choice you can do is say, God, I want you to run my life. You tell me what to do. Ask Noah about that. The whole earth dies and drowns in the flood, but not Noah, because Noah obeyed the Lord and moved with fear and built a boat on dry ground. I mean, he was mocked for what he did, hated for what he did, but he and his wife and his three boys and their wives, they got on the ark and they were spared. you know why? Because he obeyed God and not men. All right, so Christ is the head of the man, but then the head of the woman is the man. That's just the order. So it's a biblical position, but I want to end with this because I think it'll help us. Right there on the opposite page, if you have a Schofield Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I believe, I believe that that is a position of strength. I do not believe that is a position of weakness. I don't believe it shows a, a, a frailty or a weakness. It's just the order. And look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9, in seeking about running a race, verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. So we're talking about a race and we're talking about boxing. By the way, how many of you have ever, anybody here ever put on boxing gloves? Anybody here ever went for three minutes to box? Anybody ever, everybody boxed for three minutes? Anybody ever boxed 10 rounds? I'm going to tell you what, I boxed two rounds one time. I thought I was going to die. And I don't know how much those gloves weigh, but it didn't matter. I, I mean, I, was, <laughs> I, I thought I was going, it, it was hard. Look at the next verse. But I keep under my body and bring it into, what's that next word? A man that has a strong disposition and determination 
can bring his body in subjection to be able to win the race or to win the fight. It's a whole lot harder to say no than it is to say yes. Today, today, we had a great meal at my house today. I appreciate what my wife cooked. When she finished, um, my, my, my daughter-in-law brought me a little piece of cobbler, and it had a little snow cream on the side. Anybody have any snow cream from our last little snow we had? If you didn't, I'm so sorry. It's so good. And there was snow cream on there. And you know what? I had, I had, I had what I needed. But I just waited till nobody wasn't looking. And I went and I got me a great big bowl. And I filled it up with snow cream. Consequently, that's why I'm not going to win the race. <laughs> right. That's right. That's why we have a problem with blood pressure. That's why I have a problem with so many other things because we know what we're supposed to do, but saying no is a whole lot harder than saying just one more bite. Come on, I guarantee you there's somebody here, you can't say no to that hot sign at the Krispy Kreme donut can, can you? I don't have a problem. I don't, I don't really care for donuts, and it doesn't matter if they're hot or cold, it doesn't make a difference to me. But I know there's some of you in here, you see that little light that says hot? <laughs> I bet I look around long enough, I'll find you too. <laughs> it says hot, you know what you're going to do? i pull in there. They got hot donuts. I think they're death nuts. That's my opinion. But, you know, if you like them, it's up to you. It's a whole lot harder to say no. It's, it's a whole lot harder to get out of the bed at 5 o'clock in the morning and put on your clothes and go to work than it is to hit snooze 12 times. Right? It's a whole lot harder to run up the bill on a credit card and buy whatever you desire and just keep running it and running it and running it because it's harder to say no. So what position is stronger? Subjection. So you, you young ladies, that's not teaching you to be weaker. I think it's teaching you to be stronger. It takes a strong woman to be in submission to a man that does not have a clue. We'll get some women looking at me like, what did he just say? <laughs> then I know your, your husband has a clue. Your man has a clue. There are some men. Listen, it doesn't say that men are smarter than women. It doesn't say that they're better investment or investors. It doesn't say that they, it just says the position. It takes strength to be in subjection. Now, I'm telling you tonight. That is what God says. That's what a godly young woman ought to be like. Her heart should be discreet, chaste, love her husband, love her children, sober. Her home, she should be a keeper at home. And she should take and be obedient to her husband, be a good woman. And God says, that kind of woman right there, that's the kind of young woman that's going to make a difference in the church. And that's what we need. I, 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 I kind of feel like I'll just, and maybe, maybe this won't work, or maybe it won't be received. 
I think our young ladies have a lot of opposition pushed their way. They have a world telling them what beauty is. And if you don't have a certain look and a certain size and a certain hair color, and if you don't have, you know, lashes and nails that can touch the other side of the building and, you know, you're not independent and you're angry, then, you know, you're just not a real woman. I think they got a lot of pressure on them. And I I wonder, you young ladies, you don't have to get up. But I wonder how many of you mothers and dads Maybe grandparents would get up from your seat and come to an altar and say, Lord, would you help us to help shape our daughter, our granddaughter to be like that? Would there be anybody like that? This way we'll end the service. Or would you help us to help her to be what you want her to be? Anybody? All right. Lord, we thank you for the night. And Lord, we appreciate what you've done for us in giving us something to guide our lives by. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us, Lord. Help us, God, not to allow the world to shape our view. Lord, we complain about the view that the world has shaped when it comes to evolution and creation and even marriage. But yet, Lord, we we have a different view of what a godly young woman should be like in the Bible than what the world says she should be like. And I pray you'd help every young woman in this church, whether she's a teenager, whether she's a mother, Lord, whether she's a new bride, God, would you help them to be reminded that your expectation of them is far different than what the world would take and put in front of them constantly on television and so many other media outlets and what the fashion of the world would put on them. Lord, help them, God. Help them to want to be pleasing to you because, Lord, without them, we can't raise another generation. We can't see another set of missionaries that come out that have a heart for you like Timothy because of his mother and grandmother. Oh, God, please help us, I pray. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.